Poetry is beautiful. I'd like to read a poem for you. It's written by the Apostle Peter. You find it in 2 Peter 1. I don't want you to turn there. I just want you to listen. He writes this. He said, When Jesus received honor and glory from God the Father on the Mount of Transfiguration, and the voice was born to him from the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice being born from heaven. For we are with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. To which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture came from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. There's beauty in the Word of God, and there's beauty in the way that God does things. And we do well to pay attention to it like a lamp in a dark place, like the dawn rising from a night sky, like the morning star rising in our hearts. There's beautiful poetry in that, but it's so symbolically accurate because this world is a dark, dark, dark place. The world is just a dark place. But what did God do when he saw a dark world in the beginning of creation? He said, let there be light. And he made light. And the light entered in. And the light was good. The light pushes back the darkness. Have you ever lit a small candle in a dark place? And it doesn't even matter how tiny the candle is. It's one of those little tea lights. You can see everything in the room from the smallest flame. And that's what God did. That's what he did again with Jesus. The world gets darker and darker and darker, and his son comes in, who is the light of the world. And he steps in with light, and it pushes back the darkness. Does it remove all the darkness? No. Everywhere where there's no light is still dark. And light is always, always, always surrounded by dark. The light only goes as far as it casts. Right? And everything behind something is in shadow. Like the light just permeates from a point. The Bible says so, so, so clearly, God is light. Where God is, is the center, and everything from him becomes clearer. Everything in his sphere, everything from where he's raiding out with, out from, is brighter, it's truer, it's more beautiful. It's visible, it makes sense, it's less dark, it's less scary, it's less confusing. The dark in of itself isn't necessarily always all evil. You can say, well, okay, the, dark, the, the world is a dark place, maybe that's an overstatement. Well, do you think the world's a confusing place? If not fully evil, I'm not saying everything in it, everyone and everything is fully wicked and evil, but I think it's fully confused. 
I think it's fully lost. There's lots of ways we relate to the dark. Sometimes we're afraid of the dark. I think I see a lot of fear in people because they don't know what's coming next. They don't know what to expect. They don't know who they are. They don't know where they're safe. You can get lost in the dark. I think I see a lot of people that are lost. They don't know which way to go. They don't know where they're headed because the dark just means you cannot see. Dark is the absence of sight. Blindness and darkness are always put together in Scripture, too. They're used interchangeably. It's the same sort of thing. You could be blindfolded. You could have no eyesight. You could be in the dark. The same thing happens. You don't know where you're going. So you can be afraid of the dark. You can get lost in the dark, but also can stumble in the dark. And so when you're wandering around kind of like this, you don't know when you're about to trip. It feels unsafe. You ever had someone say, okay, close your eyes, and they lead you, and even though you trust that person, you're kind of like... I don't want to trip. Like, don't walk me into a wall. Like, is there a step here? Where's the door? And even us with our light, sometimes we stumble. Sometimes we're afraid. Sometimes we get lost. But the light is always there. You know, talk, the Bible talks about walking in the light. So there's like a path that's well lit. And if we stay on it, things will become clearer and clearer the further we go. Because the further we walk in life, the closer we're getting to eternity, right? The closer we're getting to God. So the closer we get to Him, the clearer things get. I think this is why people who are later on in life always have that feeling of urgency. Like, there's not much time left. I can't waste my time. Why? Because they're closer to the light and they've seen enough of the dark in the past. They're like, there's so much that doesn't matter that we waste our time doing. But you don't recognize that when you're kind of like trying your way, like, what should I do? How do I, I got to get a job and I got to provide for my family. It's just sort of like stumbling. And then over time, like, what actually matters? Well, now you can look back and be like, it's becoming clearer over time, the closer we get to heaven, what actually matters. And you might hate that and ignore it and run away from it. Some people do. Some people hate the light. Like, ah. But even they can't deny it and they can't avoid it. And the light is going to make everything clear that still now is so much of it is in the dark. And so when we're in the dark with our decisions, we're afraid about a decision to make, or we're lost, or we're stumbling around making all the wrong decisions, we need to pray for light. It's the same thing as praying for wisdom. It's the same thing as praying for clarity. God, shine into this thing like a little spotlight, and when I move, move that spotlight around with me so that I can at least see where I'm going. With this center, I feel like it's a very narrow spotlight. It's hard to see too many steps ahead, but that's okay. Because it feels like at least one step at a time is clear. And we have faith that God will continue to bring us into the path of light. He'll make clear to us what he needs from us here. What he wants from us. So not everything in the dark is wicked. But everything in the dark is unclear. The light is the same way. The light doesn't mean just I'm doing lots of good deeds. Be children of the light. Let men see your good deeds and make glory. Yes, there's good things that happen in light. But more accurately, light is just reality. It's like the real look at things. So if you really saw the person next to you, if you could really look into their eyes and really know what they were going through, you would feel compassion for the places that they're hurting and you would feel proud of the places where they're succeeding, you would really know, and what would that mean? That would mean if you really felt compassion, you'd want to give them a hug or help them with the next bill that they couldn't pay. All those, but, so those are acts of light. But really all it is is you see what's needed in the moment. 
That's why some good deeds aren't good deeds at all. You go to try to do something good, you end up stepping on toes, you end up offending, you end up doing something wrong, it was you. It was, it was an action, but it wasn't a deed of light, really what that person needed. And the darkness can be the same way. If we don't know what to do, then half the time we're probably making things worse. Living in the light means clarity from God because the world is a dark place. So my question for each of us is to think where we stand in relationship to the light and the dark in our lives. Those are going to see, we're going to read four scriptures together about light and dark. They start with Colossians, that's why we're jumping off because we're reading Paul's letter and he talks about the darkness, the power that that darkness has. And then we're going to read another passage that talks about how sometimes the darkness is actually in us and we need the light to be in us. So there may be places in our lives that we haven't let God shine some light into it. We're hiding those things. We're stuffing those things. We're putting them in the closet and lock the door. The skeleton's in the closet. You know, someone's coming over. Shove everything in the closet and lock the door, but don't open it when the company's over because everything's going to come pouring out. So that may be some of us this morning, and that's okay because God wants to bring light to things that are a mess, and he wants to bring light to things that are unclear so that they can get unmessified and clarified. And it's not a judgment, it's truth. And if we're willing to hear the truth, even sometimes when it's not pleasant, we'll be the better for it. We'd rather have the truth than be ignorant of it, stumbling around, hurting ourselves as we try to do what we're not willing to face needs to be done our own way. So if any of us are still in the dark, it's okay. I say, come to the light. Come to the light. If any of us still have places in us that are still just kind of in the shadows, kind of in the dark, okay. Bring it to the light so that God can do something with it so it doesn't have to stay that way. We don't have to be afraid of those things. We don't have to feel lost. We don't have to stumble around hurting ourselves. Come into the light and we experience the best that God has for us. Let me say a word of prayer and even just ask you to take a moment of quiet before I start actually speaking this prayer and just think for a moment about where you stand in relationship and I'll think for myself where I stand in relationship to the light and the dark and then we'll jump into scripture. Father, bring us into the light this morning all together. May our light be greater because we're near each other, we're with each other. May your light burn bright in this place as we read your word, as you illuminate things. Please bring to our mind through your Holy Spirit the things that we need to think about today. Please bring to mind the people that we know that might be lost in the dark or stumbling around getting hurt in the dark or afraid. Please help us to bring light, be light bearers, light bringers, and to have no fear ourselves, for you are with us. Bless the reading of your word this morning, Father. Speak to us through these ancient but permanent and unchangeable truths. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we're in Colossians, like I said. So that's the first one. We're in chapter 1. If you want to turn there, you can. If you have a Bible or want to read on an app, I'm going to read verses 12 through 23 of chapter 1. And I want you to think about the either-or nature of what Paul is writing here. It's either darkness or light. You can't hold up a candle and have it be dark also next to the candle. It's either-or. 
you can go far enough away from light, you're in the darkness. Or you can put out the light and have darkness, but light and darkness don't coexist in the same place. This is important for us because I feel like sometimes the Christian faith gets a little bit muddled in how we explain it and how we think about it. And we think like, I'm going to live my life, but I'm going to like add a little bit of Jesus to it as if we're making a stew and he's like a really good ingredient and makes it more tasty. No, the Bible says that what we're cooking is poison and when we drink it, we're going to die. And we need to be like taken out of that house, put in another house with a different kitchen, cooking a completely different thing, be relocated to some place where there's light. Where people actually see what they're cooking. They know what they're putting in the pot. It makes sense and you're going to get healthy from it. So there, the Bible uses this word transfer. Delivered from unknown, the dark, and transferred into the kingdom of his beloved son. This means that any of us who haven't specifically made a transfer, you're in the dark still. It has to go from one to the other. There's not a both and, there's an either or. That's, I think that's one of the most important points to make from this whole reading. Let me read it to you, see what you get out of it, and let me highlight some points, and we'll keep adding a few more scriptures to it to think about light and dark together this morning. Colossians 1, 12 says, Give thanks to the Father. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So light is your inheritance. Heaven, kingdom of light. That's what we're getting from our dad. It's our inheritance. He has delivered us. It's past tense. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. That means like the power of darkness, the authority. It's not a location word, so keep that in mind. Darkness is like a controlling thing. When we're under the control of greed, we can't stop wanting things that we don't have. It's a power. So you need to be taken out of that. You might want to stop being greedy. You might, wanna, you might want to stop envying the, the boyfriend, girlfriend, wife, husband, house, children, job, health of someone else, but you can't just by wanting it stop. It's a power. Darkness, lack of vision is a power. It's a control. So he takes us out of that and he transfers us to the kingdom of his beloved. And this is a place. This is a place of freedom. A kingdom has boundaries. Anywhere in the kingdom, you're under the protection of the king. The king a kingdom is a safe place. A kingdom is a provided for place. The king has ways that he provides for his people, ways that he gets, like you have community. Like kingdom is boundary. So you go from being controlled to being free. Dark to light. You go from under the authority of something that you can't know what's going to be in a kingdom where everything is clear and makes sense. You go from being controlled and not able to see on your own to a kingdom which is a bunch of people and a king all together, community sharing light. It's solitary, corporate. It's dark to light. It's power to freedom. That's the transfer. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be a Christian. You've gone from one existence to the other. So he's transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of over all creation. And by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he's before all things, and all things in him hold together. This is describing the king. This is our king of the kingdom. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning. He's the firstborn from the dead, that in everything Christ might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the light of God was dwelling in Jesus. And through Christ to reconcile to himself all things. The things that are lost in the dark, he's bringing back to himself. 
whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. So that's what it cost, and that's what he did. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind. So this is me. Dave, you were alienated and hostile in mind? You who grew up in a pastor's house and you were like grown up in the church from like yay high to here? When were you alienated? Until I could fully understand what God did for me and what he means to me and I had a love for him myself, I was alienated and hostile in mind. It means I'm apart from him in my own lostness, whether it feels like good lostness or bad lostness. Lost. And hostile, meaning, well, I'm making my own decisions. There's a transfer that has to happen. Whether it happens to us when we're four years old, six years old, 20 years old, 40, 50 years old, the transfer has to happen. He has now reconciled me and you in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all of creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So the hope of the gospel, the good news, this is what is being proclaimed by Paul. The good news is that we don't have to stay in the dark. No one has to stay in the dark. No matter how big the sins, no matter how lost the person, no matter how much they've been stumbling, how beat up they are, how afraid they are, how lost they are, those things don't matter to God. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. There is a child of mine, God says, and I want them to be with me in the light. So he's constantly reaching out into the darkness. He's sending his son. He's bringing us in. He's trying to transfer people over. This must happen for all of us, or it hasn't happened for us. This is an either-or thing. So like I said, we're going to add some scriptures to this. I hope you're thinking. I hope you're absorbing. I hope you're personalizing this. Ephesians chapter 5 is the next one. So it's a few books before Colossians, um, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those letters are in a row in our Bibles. Uh, Feel free to back up to one or just listen to this one. What did we talk about the last time I preached? We talked about fruit, right? And why do we say fruit is an important metaphor? Because fruit has... Seeds, right? Because we're supposed to have this legacy of impact. Well, tell me, does fruit grow in the dark? In, like, the world world? Nah. And it also won't grow in our darkness. And this passage talks about the fruit of the light versus the unfruitful works of the darkness. See, what happens when you're in the dark is you don't know where you're going, and so you're not getting anywhere. You're not actually making any progress. You're chasing your tail, but you don't know it. But in the light, you can actually make progress. You're planting things with intention that they will then grow, and then you're moving forward. So fruit is only in the light, and the darkness can have no fruit. This is why the things that people do just for themselves, or just for money, or just for prestige, or just to be an influencer on social media, all these things are just so temporary. It's not fruit. It's like a temporary check, hey, good job, and then immediately forgotten, immediately lost. Nothing eternal, nothing permanent, nothing valuable, nothing worthwhile. But show someone the love of God, 
help someone find God's healing. All of a sudden, now that person is healed. Their life changes. They grow. They experience things they never would have. They become a new creation. They're transferred. And then they have eternity to be with God. Like That is a legacy. That is what matters. The dark can't produce fruit in the dark. And it comes up in this passage, and I love that. So there's just a little tie-in to what we talked about the last time we looked into Colossians. Let's read together Ephesians 5, 1 through 14. Paul, to a different church, different place, he encourages them this way. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Try to do what he does. Imitate God. Copy him. As his beloved children. And walk in love. As Christ loved us, and he gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality, or all impurity, or coveting, these things must not even be named among you. As is proper among saints, like people of light. Like, no, we're not living like the world, we're trying to live in the light. Let there be no filthiness, or foolish talk, or crude joking. They're out of place. Like, this is not what it is to be in the light. That's what it is to be in the dark. Instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let those words be thankful. Let that be on our lips. Paul writes, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, he has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. There's that inheritance word. Like, what are we getting? Inheritance of light. So let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not partner with them. For you, too, at one time were darkness. And this is so interesting to me. He doesn't say here, you were in darkness, although that can be true. What does he say? You were. It was you. And for all the times that religion tries to make people feel good about themselves, they can point fingers at everybody else, we need to remind ourselves of this statement. We were the darkness. It was in us. And it was around us. And we were transferred, been given light. We're not blaming everyone. We can look inside and say, oh, we got plenty to blame ourselves for the darkness we began we were born into darkness we began as darkness so he says don't partner with the world don't do things their way because one time at one time you were darkness you were creating darkness but now you are light there's that word again like you are it's your identity it's who you are does it mean we do everything perfectly no does it mean we never fail no does it mean we're never gonna do another sinful or wicked thing no but like our identity who we are we're children of light we are light we're lamps with lanterns being carried through the world, spreading light. So the lamp might be dirty, the lamp might get broken, my bulb might go out, it might get cracked, fine. Jesus is there with the duct tape, he's there with the replacement bulb, he's there like carrying, like he's doing this, but that's who we are. So you might look at me and say, wow, oh, this past week, Dave, I, I, the way you handled this thing or the way you thought about that, man, that wasn't shining your light brightly. And I'm like, yeah, you know, the lamp was dirty this week. The lamp got broken this week. Jesus, restore, fill, because we are light. We're given light. So there's an identity here, and that's why the transfer has to happen. It's not just you did some bad stuff and now you can do some good stuff. No, you were bad. And we become good because God loves us. He remakes us. This is what it means to be saved. This is the good news, though. The hope of the gospel. 
All right, so uh, you two were darkness, but now you are light, so walk as children of the light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So the light that gets cast is kind of like sphere of light. The things that you do in there are good because you can see what to do. And the things you do in that light are true because you're seeing clearly what's true. And the things that you do there are right because you can accurately see what is needed in the moment. You're not stumbling, you're not lost, you're not afraid. You're ready for that moment. Paul goes on, he says, it's shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But instead, oh no, I skipped down to 12, go back to 10. Uh, the fruit is found, fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. All right, Lord, give us eyes to see. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. There's that phrase I told you was coming up. There's no fruit. Nothing can last. If you don't know what you're doing, you don't know where you're going, and you're afraid, and you're lost, and you're stumbling, and you're hurting yourself, there's no way you're going to have a great legacy of light. So it's just unfruitful. It's a waste. The darkness makes everything wasted. Take no part in these unfruitful works of darkness, so actions, works. But instead, expose them. Like, show what's good, show what's not. That's why he's talking about specific things like sexual immorality or being greedy or pride or these things that come. Because we're like, what does it look like to look like God? And what does it look like to imitate? And what does it not look like? So we're trying to figure that out. That's the discernment. But we're also trying to say it. And we don't say it in a judgmental way because we know that at one time we too were darkness. We say it in a clarity kind of way. What are the things that are ultimately going to hurt us and even kill us? You stumble around in the dark long enough. And there's a possibility you could really, really hurt yourself. And that's why Bible uses this darkness kind of leading to death. You walk around in the dark long enough and you're going to hit something sharp, fall off something steep, or hurt yourself in a fatal way. And you know, the, the sneaky part of all of it is that it's not just sort of like a random chance. Like if we, we everybody blindfolded ourselves and walked around in here, you'd be like, all right, all right, I know where the furniture is, bump, 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 blindfold, and then try to do It's not like that. Because the Bible says that there are evil spirits, there's Satan, there's evil forces at work against us. So while we're blindfolded, while we're in the dark, there's someone walking around trying actively to trip us, trying actively to put us in harm's way, moving the furniture around that we thought it was one way or walking another way, like someone is actually actively sabotaging you in the dark. Whereas in the light, you see it for what it is. And you see the temptation, Lord, lead me not into that temptation. You see the fear, God, take the fear from it. Be not afraid, for I am with you. The light doesn't remove all these obstacles. It just makes them obvious. I could clearly, easily navigate this room here because there's light. The same room with me blindfolded, dark, and with people here actively trying to hurt me going from A to B is a totally different story. Can't get through the darkness because of how much is opposing you. You can't get through the darkness unless we have the light. So expose the things around us. Just see for good and bad what helps us, what brings us to God. What is sin? Know it. It is shameful even to speak of things they do in secret. Verse 12 says, But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that is visible is light. So things that are seen are light. We are light. We are seen. God sees us. We can see. That's how light works. Therefore, and he quotes uh, an old hymn, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. I want to read you a couple of verses from John. I don't want you to turn, but just listen to how Jesus 
describes all these things, himself as the light of the world and how we're in the darkness. Just kind of absorb his words as we think about these things. Jesus said, this is the judgment. So this is like case closed. The light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So either we're running away from the truth or we're embracing it. And even when sometimes we look in the mirror and the reflection that we see is kind of bad, we're still grateful for it. Because we say, oh, okay, thank you for showing me how I look so I can work on it, so I can be aware, so I can see myself for who I am and then see myself as you see me, God. So that's in John 3. Jesus again, John 12 this time. Jesus said to them, the light is among you. He's the light. For just a little while longer. So walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. Get it? Jesus is the light and he's walking. And if you stop walking, what's the darkness going to do? It's going to creep up on you from behind. And it's going to get darker and darker and darker the further we are away from Christ. It says, walk in the light, lest the darkness catch up. So the one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going, Jesus says. Again, it's, it's a blindness. They don't know. We don't know. We couldn't know. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of light. So we have to believe. We have to believe that Jesus is the light. We have to believe what he tells us. We have to believe the words in the Bible. We have to believe in our faith, believe in God. That belief is what helps us stay in the light. Another one. Uh, this is actually uh, from 1 John, and then one more from Jesus. John writes, The darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. So whoever says he is in the light but hates his brother is actually still in the darkness. And whoever loves his brother is staying in the light. And in him there's no cause for stumbling, right? That's one of the options. You can either be lost or you can be afraid or you can be stumbling around in the dark. He says, when you love your brother, you're staying in your light and you're abiding in the light. And there's no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and he walks in the darkness and he does not know where he's going because darkness has blinded his eyes. Jesus, again, one last. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, and in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is why we're not supposed to be afraid of the dark as Christians. You can go anywhere. You bring light with you. We're meant to actually stand in dark places. And sometimes faith and Christianity becomes sort of like a refuge. It becomes like a hiding place because the world is dark. We all agreed earlier, right? The world's a dark place. So what do you want to do? Let's get to church. People are dark. What should we do? Let's hang out with Christian friends. Man, music is dark and media is dark. What should we do? Let's watch only Christian movies and listen to only Christian music and have only Christian friendships and work for only Christian companies. That's just not what Jesus did. He went into the darkness and he knew that he was light 
And so therefore the light is not going to overcome him or overtake him. He's going to overcome the dark. The light always banishes the dark. So you can go into dark places because you carry light. And you don't need to be afraid of a dark world because it can't make you dark. It can't undo what Jesus did for you. The darkness doesn't put out the lamp. The darkness is like what you were before you got the light. And the light is burning. And the darkness can't touch you anymore. I think we get too afraid of the world. We get too afraid of the darkness because it feels scary. But then what use is faith in Christ if we're still afraid of the dark? The dark can't touch us. The dark isn't going to hold us back. The dark is not our eternity. The dark is all around us, but we're in it as lights shining. City on a hill kind of stuff. God saves us and then asks us to shine, to deliberately go into dark places. Sometimes we like to retreat to safe places, and maybe there's a time for that. And maybe it's in balance, or maybe there's seasons. I'll let you work that out with the Lord. But if all of your places that you like to go are the safe places, then... How would the light get into the darker places? And it's always the least expected places where God's going to do the most amazing work. So don't just go where you expect to be. Go where God calls you. I'm going to read two more and then have you guys turn for our closing one because I do want you to see that with your own eyes. Uh, Jesus talks about us being uh, a light individually and then as a church, a city. A lot of lights together, right? The, the city's brighter than the person with the flashlight. There's so many lights, so the brightness increases. In Luke 11, Jesus says it this way, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in the cellar or under a basket, but puts it up on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. So when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. These are deep words. Just think through them with me. So, therefore, be careful, Jesus says, lest the light in you be darkness. If your whole body is full of light, having no parts dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. What we take in is going to be what fills us with what we have inside, our, our eyes lamp your eyes are the lamp of the body and if your body is filled with darkness if what we're seeing if what we're taking in if what we're reading if what we're believing if what we're accepting philosophies of the world ways of thinking ways of acting if what we're bringing in is just the darkness well then why are we surprised when we act like everyone and we think like everyone else and we we look no different from anyone else but if your eyes are the lamp of your body and we're taking in god's word we're experiencing and taking in acts of sacrifice and love and being encouraged by what we see. If we're looking on the face of Christ, looking at Jesus, and be like, help me, Jesus, we're taking that in, then we receive the light. This is like we talked about receiving seeds. The fruit is the word of God. Jesus, the word. That's meant to broadcast. That's what it's meant to do. So Jesus goes on in Matthew and says it this way. He says, you are the light of the world. So not just for us, not just for our house, but for the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, and nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they put it on a stand so it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So not, not glory for us, and that's what we're going to read in our last verse. 
Not glory for us, glory for our Father who is in heaven. There should be something visible. We should be seen. We should be seen by the world because we see what Jesus is saying for us to do and where he's calling us to go. So read the last one with me and then I want to suggest a couple of practices that can help us put this into practice this week. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's just verses 6 and 7. It's, it's very short, but I need us to think about this because this kind of puts the whole thing into perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. Paul's writing again to another church, another city in Corinth, and uh, he reminds them of creation where God said, let there be light, and he says, this is how it is in your faith as well. And so maybe for some of us this morning, we need God to say, let there be light, we need him to break in to us, but also maybe for some of us, we need God to say, all right, here's the darkness, let there be light there. Let there be light in this people group that you're about to serve. Let there be light in this family that you're in charge of. Let there be light in this city that I've placed you in. Let there be light. God's word, God's power, but we're vehicles for it. So 2 Corinthians 4, 6-7, Paul writes, For God, who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shone into our hearts. Right? The eyes of the lamp shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. So it's like the light is the ability to see it, the knowledge, like we get it. Right. This is why sometimes when people are saved, when they, when they have that moment of conversion, when they, when they truly come to God, sometimes it's this like aha moment. You know, come to Jesus moment, right? Isn't that the phrase we hear used? Like it's just, I get it. Because the light shone enough that you could receive the knowledge. Like, ah, it makes sense. I know that I need God. I know I have sin. I know Jesus loves me. He died for me. It makes sense. So he's shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So Jesus shows us God. We experience God through Jesus. But we have a treasure. This treasure vast treasure, beautiful treasure, amazing light, wonderful thing we've been given in our jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. It's not your light. It's not my light. This is why it's so like bothersome to me when people are like, you're such a good person. I'm like, no, no, wrong, eh, wrong, like it's not. God is good, and, and I hope he's changing me to be like him, but it's my proximity to the light. It's the light that I've ingested. It's the light that I'm shining, that I've got from God, despite my cracked lamp and my duct tape and my batteries, which are falling out of the bottle. It's despite that, that God can do good things, because only God is good. So we need the jars of clay. This is why I think God lets us be humbled so often. Things don't go our way. We fail. He wants to remind us, no, it's not just you. You don't have this. You're not all set. You're not done. You're not fixed. You're not finished. You're a vessel. You're filled. Filled with light. And I want that to be us so desperately in this place, in this city, in this center, in our church, in our work, and serve home, in the places. We, I want that to be so desperately that we don't just look like everyone, that the darkness isn't in us, but that we're actually shining light. And it can look like so many different things. Um, the, just over the last couple of weeks, I had four different 
ways that people shared with me within our church family where they were shining lights. I'm going to share them with you now as four examples, and then I'll give you those practices that I was talking about. And I actually had the idea that maybe on Sundays we could do more of this sharing, share some of the ways that we're shining the light. So here's maybe like a first of many. And if you have any ways that you see people kind of secretly, this is all going to be anonymous. I don't want to give names out. The Bible talks very clearly about that. Like, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is. Just do it for God. But if you tell me, I would love to encourage us with the ways that the light is being shined out there. I heard uh, that some in our church family had heard of someone who needed a new mattress. And so that group just got together, got a mattress, delivered it, put it in. And the comment that was made to me from the person who received it is, no one's ever done anything like that for me before. Like, that's light. Because it was real. There was a need. If you just take a mattress and knock on someone's door, like, Jesus loves you, here's a mattress. Maybe they just bought a great mattress. Maybe they sleep great. And you're like, this guy is irrelevant. The good deed is not the good deed. The truth is in the light. They could see the need because they saw the person because they were near enough for it to be visible so that they could share the light. And then that mattress is just God's love in that place for that person for as long as that person will sleep on it. That's sharing the light. Uh, another one, people were traveling and uh, some others volunteered these last couple of weeks to shovel driveways and scatter uh, salt on their driveways while they were gone because we had the storms. Like, that's beautiful. That's showing the love of God in just a shoveling and salting kind of way. But the reality was there. If you go to someone who's got the plow in the front of their truck and they just plow the driver, like, we're here to shovel and salt. It's not actually an action of light, of reality, of what the need is. It's just us trying to do a good thing. We need to see the way God sees and let him direct us to where the real needs are. Because then the salt and the shovel is a gift from God, not a self-imposed act of our will. And then we can say, well, glory to God. <laughs> he put us in the right place at the right time. I heard of someone who uh, got some bags of groceries together and delivered them this past week. I thought that was beautiful. Just a simple thing. Just deliver some groceries. Um, I heard of someone who uh, walked by a homeless person and felt convicted, like, I should go back and give them $100 in my pocket. And sometimes that feels like, well, that might be a terrible wrong thing to do. And sometimes Jesus says, like, love me by loving the least of these. And that person was obedient in that moment and gave an outrageously beautiful gift, unsolicited, anonymously because God told them to add sacrifice to himself. Like those are beautiful little acts of love. And when led by God, they're the exact right thing at the exact right moment, and they spread light. And that is how we become a city on a hill. Each one of us listening to God, letting him show us what he does, and then acting on that. And living out, not for us, not because we're great. We'll probably do that great thing in the next 30 seconds, do the worst thing we've ever done in our life. <laughs> but it doesn't wreck it. It just shows that we're vessels in jars of clay. The beauty was still the beauty. The light was still the light. That gift was still a sacrifice of God. And more so than anything we put in a plate here, it was just an act of love. So there are millions of things like this. Think like this. Try to share the light for God's glory, not ours. And if you're looking for spiritual practices that can help you along the way, I'm going to give you five really quickly. The Bible, you read it and it makes things clear. Oh, I'm fine. And then you read in the Bible, thou shalt not. And it has a list of things that you do and don't think anything about. We just read some filthiness and coarse joking and other things like, oh, maybe the way I joke with my friends is not how I'm supposed to talk. You read the Bible, you come into the light, and then you just have some decisions to make. How are we going to talk? Okay. Bible. If you want to walk in the light, 
read the Bible. It just makes things clear. It just clearly defines how things are, for better or for worse. Sometimes we get a compliment from Scripture. Sometimes we get a kick in the pants. But it's just clear. It's just the light. It's just reality. Uh, second one, create spiritual practice of confession. Whoever says that he doesn't sin calls God a liar. Find a close friend. Confess your sins to each other. Like, this is where I'm failing, because that's light also. And if you shed light into the dark places, they push out. Read the Bible. Confess your sins to each other. Trust God. Jesus said, believe in the light. So be optimistic. Have hope. Don't be fatalistic. Don't be negative. Don't be pessimistic. Don't be... Be hopeful. God is light. Jesus overcomes the darkness. Two more. Compassion. If you see someone, you can't believe how they're living. You can't believe they act that way. You can't believe they do that. You can't believe they struggle with this. You can't believe... Just recognize that's a person lost in the darkness. That's a person afraid of everything around them. That's a person stumbling around. They don't know where they're going. Have compassion. Don't have judgment. Or it's the homeless person and we make judgments about how they got there or whether they deserve what they've received or whether we would do the same thing in their shoes. Maybe have compassion on people who are lost because that's what Jesus did. It goes a long way to shining light when we're not hating the people that are lost. If someone's blind, not mad at them for not being able to see where they're going, you understand that's the, the condition. And until they are transferred from the control that that darkness puts on us, it sticks us. Until they're transferred to the freedom of living in a kingdom where things make sense and have purpose and have a good king over us that are leading to more and more. Until that happens, still blind, still blindfolded. So try to help. Try to shed some light. Try to show some love. Try to help get the blindfold like a little bit up, right? It's over the rise. What if you could just like peek it up a little bit and some light could come in? It's like, ah, God loves me. And the last one is community. It's a spiritual practice. You might not think that getting together with Christians is a spiritual discipline, but it is. Community is a practice. You will not naturally, automatically get together with each other and with church folk and with me and with other Christians unless you plan to and try to and make it happen. You will get busy. Your work will get overwhelming. There'll be too much to do. You'll be too stressed. There'll be problems that come up. There won't be enough money. There'll be this, there'll be that. But if we're brighter together, if it's clearer together, if things make more sense when we're shining light on each other, if our light is going dim but we're standing next to someone who's shining bright right now so we get to share some of that light, well, then we experience the light even when we're not able to get it ourselves. We're brighter together. It's not just we are a lamp. It's we are a city on a hill. You know, and if we come together, the light will increase because Jesus is in each of us and we share with one another. I had the feeling as I was leading up to this sermon that there was going to be some people here this morning that felt like they're still stuck in the dark or that the darkness was in them in some way. I just kept having that feeling come back to my mind. So if anything I've said this morning has made you feel like I think maybe I am in the dark, please come find me and pray with me. Let's find some light together. And if any of you have felt like I think God was talking to me about the dark parts, 
I'm mostly light, but I've got some rooms that are kind of closed off to Jesus and they're still dark in there. Come talk to me. Let's pray together. Let's get some light in there. Because Jesus wants to bring light into the darkness. It's what he does and it's what he can. You do not have to stay lost. We do not have to stumble around not knowing where we're going. We don't have to be afraid. It's not our identity. We are light in Christ. So I don't know who you are. And maybe it's none of you. And that's fine too. But I want to specifically extend the invitation today. This week, call me. Today after church, find me. Whatever. Um, I would love to pray with you about the darkness and the light and how you're experiencing it in your walk.